Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Well, listen, we are in our last message of this series, The Showdown. The Showdown, Faith versus Fear. And it's all going down right here. Come on, we've had a few rounds. We've had round one, we, we exposed fear. We had round two, where we talked a little bit about the strength of faith and why we need faith. We had round three, where we pulled the covers away last week. And we talked about unbelief. Come on, it's really the greatest sin of Christians is unbelief. And today, the final round. <laughs> The final round, faith versus fear. We're going to talk today about the God kind of faith. Today is a day that we're not going to hold back. Today is a day that we're done with the jabs and the dancing around the ring. We're done with the strategy. We're done with all of those things. It's time for the haymaker. Come on. I don't know how many boxing fans we may have, but... You know, there comes a point where you got your enemy on the ropes and you go in for the kill. And that's what we're doing today. We're going in for the kill. And we can do it because we have the God kind of faith. The God kind of faith. Now, I know if you're like me, there's a lot of areas in my life where I'm passive. You know, I, uh, there's a lot of times where I, I prefer not to have confrontation. If, if we didn't have to have confrontation. I, I prefer not to argue if there's a, a way we can not argue. But the reality of the situation, folks, is Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he told him, he said, fight the good fight. Emphasis being on fight. Fight the good fight of faith. So whether we like it or not, we have to realize that we are in a fight. We are in a fight. But one of the things that I think throws us off, especially as Christians, is that we often fight the wrong thing. We fight each other. Even Christians, we fight each other. We fight the devil. We try to fight the devil. Come on. How many know in your own power, you can't fight the devil? It's not because the devil's better than you, but the devil's a spiritual being. And he's been around for a long time. And so uh, just in ourselves, we can't fight the devil. So that's not what God didn't call us to fight the devil. He said, submit to God and then do what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He didn't call us to fight the devil. Too many of us trying to fight the devil. But what should we fight? Our fight should be the fight of faith. Why? Because Jesus told Peter, he said, listen, Peter, Satan has asked, Satan has desired to sift you through his hands as wheat. He said, but I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail because that's how you have your victory. Your victory is through your faith. 
And I want to tell you this morning that when we accept the Lord Jesus into our heart, when you believe in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins, and you confess with your mouth that very thing, that God raised him on the third day, then you've been given faith. Romans chapter 12, you've, you've read this very popular passage of scripture before. You've heard it preached on. Perhaps you've ministered it. You've shared it with someone else to encourage them. But it's a reminder. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, I'm reading out of the New King James. He says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means that's the least that you can do. Your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the ways of the world shape you and shape your worldview. But be transformed. That means a metamorphosis from the inside out. Get the word of God in you, in your heart, like a seed planted in fertile ground that will bring forth fruit in your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means that all of those things that have been put in your mind your whole life, some of that may not be true. It's just the way things have been done. And just because they've been done that way doesn't mean that they're right and true. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, so that, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, Paul goes on, through the grace given to me, to every one, Everyone who is among you. Now let me just say that I know that this book is called Romans. And it starts out the letter to the Romans. But what we have to understand is Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. And therefore, I believe you can put yourself in this when he says that uh, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one. Are you in each one this morning? As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, I love reading out of the New King James Version. Here, I like the King James even because in verse 3 it says, According as God has dealt to everyone the measure of faith. That means that he gave each of us the measure of faith. He gave you a measure of faith, you a measure of faith, and you, me the measure of faith. And we all got that measure of faith when we accepted the Lord Jesus. Now watch verse 3 out of the Living Bible. One of the things that we have to realize, it, well, I'll get to that in a moment. It says, as God's messenger, Paul is saying, verse 3, Romans 12, I give each of you God's warning. He says, be honest in your estimate of yourselves. Be honest. Measuring your value, watch this, by how much faith God has given you. By how, measure your value 
by how much faith God has given you. Now we realize from this passage of scripture that each of us that who have accepted the Lord, we have faith. We don't have to beg God for faith. We don't have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, please, if you would just give me some faith. Guess what? You have faith already. Now what you do with your faith is up to you. Whether you strengthen your faith is up to you. You know, the skinniest person in the world has muscles. Now they may not look like the rock. They may not look like the hawk. But they do have muscles. It's just what you do with your muscles. Each of us has faith. And it's up to us to build that faith. And then if God has given us faith, then the question becomes, why are so many of us as Christians victimized by the enemy? And I just don't mean uh, what we see. I just don't mean in some obvious, you know, sickness or whatever it is. But why do we let the enemy trip us up so much and so often? Why do we see that so often? Either we don't have faith and Paul is telling us a lie. Or maybe we don't realize the authority of the faith that we have. Maybe we believe that we have faith, but we just don't understand that this faith that we have is the God kind of faith. Remember, God has dealt to you a measure of faith. Where did this faith come from? It's not something I drummed up. It's not something I went back in the lab and tried to figure out how to put together. Often we say if, 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 if we have uh, maybe an injury or we have something that's hurting on us, we'll, we'll say it's hurting and maybe to be healed I need to use my faith. And we use that word, my faith. And that's true. We absolutely ought to do that. But what we don't realize is where we got the faith from in the first place. It came from God, and if it came from God, then it's God's faith that he gave you. And I don't know if we truly have that perspective. That the faith that we have is God's faith. It's the God kind of faith. It's all about our perspective. And so Paul says here, measure your value by your faith. Measure your value by your faith. Dr. Martin Luther King had a lot of great quotes as a lot of great leaders have. Mother Teresa had a lot of great quotes and even people like Winston Churchill, who I love, and many others. Uh, but Dr. Martin Luther King was one who was great for, for quotes. He said one time, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in the times of challenge and controversy. The ultimate measure of a man. I believe that. But you know, Paul here takes it one step further. According to Paul, according to the Holy Spirit through Paul, According to the Bible, the ultimate measure of a person should be based on how much faith God has given you. Are you using your faith in those situations where it calls for it? The just shall live by faith. We talked about this before. How many hours of the day do you live? How many days of the week do you live? We only need to use our faith when we live. That's all. 
Because the just shall live by faith. So when you're not living, you don't need to use it. But as long as you're living, you live by faith. Are we walking, are we living by faith? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you value yourself? And I think that's where we need to start. So often, we, uh, many of us, we look in the mirror and we judge ourselves incorrectly. And that's what Paul is correcting here. And he's correcting it with faith. How do you value yourself? By how much money you've saved? How, how, many, how many people you've helped in life? Can you look in the mirror and say, man, today was a good day. You know, I helped that lady across the street and I helped that guy uh, jump, get a jump on his car. And, you know, I helped this other person. Man, I am a good person. Is that how you value yourself? What about how many people like you? How many people like you? For, for those of us my age and older, just how, how many people you see, how many friends you have. For those maybe younger than, how many likes do I get on social media? How many people like me? That's how I value myself. Is that how you value yourself? I mean, if you have 3,475 followers, you know, is that, that how you value yourself? Where, where who, who is it, Khloe Kardashian has... 10 million followers, so she must be much more valuable than me. Is that how you value yourself? Your accomplishments in life? Is that how you value yourself? Your education or your vocabulary? I'm better than you because I know a few more words than you, and I know how to use them. Or the big one, what about your looks? What about your looks? When I look in the mirror, I, I, I don't look so good. So that's, that's, that's my value. Is that how we value ourselves? Paul said, listen, value yourself by your faith. Are you, are you an overcomer? Because God said you were an overcomer. Are you a conqueror? Because God said you're more than a conqueror. Are you acting like what you are? Are you walking by faith? Here's what we have to understand. We have to understand the authority that we have because of the God kind of faith that we have. This is what we have to understand. Flip over to Luke chapter 10. I didn't put this up here, but Luke chapter 10 and, and verse 19. I just want you to see something. I want you to see something here when Jesus was talking to his disciples. So then a question I have before we read this, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Do you follow Christ? Do you call yourself a disciple? Well, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Verse 19 of Luke chapter 10. He said, behold, I, I, who's talking? Jesus is talking. I give you, who's he talking to? Disciples, are you a disciple? I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and, and I, I really believe that you, we can take that literal, but I believe also that that is also metaphorical uh, because he also calls Satan the great serpent and the great dragon in Revelation. Come on. So I believe this is authority over Satan and his demons and his imps. Come on. And over all, there's the word, all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And look at the context here. We're not saying that you won't ever stub your toe or you won't ever, you know, break a bone or you won't ever be physically hurt. But he's saying that as it relates to the power of the enemy, the only way the enemy can hurt you is if you allow it. 
is if you allow it. Now you can hurt yourself, and we do that. But the only way the enemy hurts you is if you allow it. Let me read it to you in the Amplified. This is what Paul says in the Amplified version, verse 19 of, of Luke chapter 10. He says, listen carefully. Listen carefully. I have given you authority that you now possess. It's another thing you don't have to ask for. I have given you authority. He, listen, to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, that's Satan, and nothing in any way will harm you. He didn't, he said, I give you the authority. I didn't sell it to you. I didn't loan it to you. I didn't give it to you for a period of time, but I give you the authority. Somebody say, I have the authority. Now say it like you mean it. I have the authority. God gave you the authority over all of the power of the enemy. And it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. All that matters is that you've accepted the Lord Jesus in your life. Once you do that, he says, I have given you the authority over all of the power of the enemy. Our first problem is just revelation that we have the authority. We have the authority. So we have it. We have it. Guess what? You might want to write this down. Authority, the authority that you have is greater than the ability of the enemy. Your authority is greater than your enemy's ability. I really want you to get that in your spirit this morning. If you walk away with nothing else, I truly want you to understand this morning that the authority, remember, God gave you the authority. So, so we don't, we're not proud. We're not saying that with some sort of pride because we know where it comes from. God gave you as God has given you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think soberly as God has dealt to everyone, as he has given you. We realize that, where that authority comes from. But in that, we know that our authority is greater than the enemy's ability. Authority is greater than ability every single time. You know, I'm a, I'm a, big, I'm a big football fan. And I know some of you saying, oh boy, he had to go to sports, didn't he? I, I'm a huge, huge football fan, and uh, I love football. You know, one of the things that I realize uh, with any sport, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about tennis and how great they are, uh, any team sport, baseball, uh, basketball in the NBA, professional sports where these guys and, and girls make so much money and you know, they're superstars and they're all over uh, Instagram and social media and they're just, you know, it's like, wow, there are heroes. But I want to tell you something. Uh, at any moment, an unseen person called an owner of a team <laughs> has authority and can fire any one of them at any moment in time. No matter how good they are, no matter how well they can dunk a basketball, or how far or fast they can run with a football. No matter what they can do, no matter how far they can hit the baseball, or how well they can pitch, no matter what ability they have, the authority of the owner trumps the ability of the athlete any day. Any day. On the, on the field. 
They, 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 they do things. In basketball, if a guy goes up for a shot and another guy hits his arm, the referee will call a foul. And the, the nine times, well, I'll say 99 times out of 100, the one who committed the foul is going to argue. I didn't touch him. I wasn't near him. I was in the locker room. I was using the bathroom. You didn't, how, why did you call that foul? But guess what? That, that guy who committed the foul is probably making $34 million. The referee who called it may be making $60,000 a year. But guess who, whose word stands at the end? The authority of the referee trumps the ability of the athlete every time. And so you have to realize that God, you're, you're, listen, your enemy may have great ability. He may move in the spiritual realm. He may be able to get from here to there. He may be able to throw thoughts at you and do all of these flashy, magical things in the realm of the spirit. But your authority trumps the ability of the enemy every single time. You have authority. You have authority. Your authority is greater than your enemy's ability. We must realize that. We must realize that. And Jesus told us this. Flip over to John, if you would. Again, I didn't put this one up there, but flip over to John. John chapter 14. And, and, and look here at what Jesus says. Very interesting when I, when I read this passage again. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. Look at what Jesus is, is talking to his, to his disciples about. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? He who believes in me. Now watch what he says. The works that I do, he will do also. He will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, and you might want to circle or underline or just remember this, these words, that I will do. That I will do. That or so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. He said, the works that I do, anyone who believes in me, you will do also. And greater works than these. Now, I, I began to think about this, this verse of Scripture, this passage of Scripture. And I said, wow, okay, the works that Jesus did, he's saying that we will do also, and even greater works than those. That's what he said. You just read it, and I just read it. So I said, wow, okay, well, let me think about some of the works that you've done. You, you walked on water. I don't know if that's a work or not. Uh, you heal, you cast out demons. And you raise some people from the dead. Now, I don't know exactly how many because I know that there's a scripture in the Bible in the New Testament that talks about how if, we, if every work that Jesus did was written down, perhaps it would fill so many books, the earth wouldn't be able to hold them. So I don't know if more, uh, you know, uh, people were raised from the dead than the three that are documented. There were three that are documented in here. Jairus' daughter, you remember that. Uh, and then there was also a widow who lived in Nain, her son, uh, was uh, Jesus raised him from the dead. And then perhaps the most famous or most remembered one was who? 
Lazarus, right? He, he, Lazarus. Now you remember this story about Lazarus is that he waited. You remember that he waited four days and they were like, well, Jesus, what are you doing? Haven't you heard, you know, Lazarus is very sick and now he's dead. He waited four days to go there. And by then he had already died. And perhaps they put him in the, put him in the grave and they wrapped him up in grave cloths, right? And put him in the tomb. And maybe he's in the tomb for four days. And when Jesus gets there, he says, no, he's, he's going to come back. And Martha said the very thing that I know I would say as well. Because you have to remember, back then, they didn't embalm. They didn't have embalming fluid like we do today. That just, that kind of keeps you at least through the funeral until we can get you in the ground. Okay. Uh, you know, it keeps you. No, they didn't have all that. So certainly by now, I, and this one, I kind of like the King James too. She said, he stinketh. Certainly by now he stinketh. <laughs> you know, his, his body, four days or how many ever days he was in there, his body begins to deteriorate, right? And, and so certainly it, it, he smells, it, he's, it's not, he's not going to look the same. Is all his flesh even there after a few days? And so he waited four days and he said, Lazarus, come forth. We know what happened. He came forth, take off the grave clothes, and there was Lazarus. He was okay. So then I began to look at this and I said, we're going to do greater works than these. What is greater than raising someone who's been dead four days? What's greater than that? Maybe we'll wait till someone's dead five or six days. Then that'll be a greater work than what Jesus did. No, I, I don't believe, I believe if we look at it that way, we're, we're not looking at it the correct way. Listen, Jesus was one man when he was on earth. When he walked the earth, he was God, perfect blood, but in a human body. And so he limited himself by that body. He could only be in one place at a time, healing whoever's there with him at that time. He couldn't be everywhere, okay? But he, and, and the key is right here in this scripture. If you still have it there, he says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do he, right here because I go to the Father. I go to the Father, and if I go to the Father, you remember in another place, he said, the whole, I, the, I can't send you the Holy Spirit unless I go to the Father. So he went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to all of us, and now we can do all those same works. That's why he put it this way. The, the works that I do, you will do also and greater because you're more than me. You'll do more. And Jesus was only on this earth for about 33 years, and he only worked in his ministry for about three years. And so how long have you been on this earth, or how long have you been a Christian? We can do greater works. We can do so much more. We're filled with the Spirit. Also, Jesus couldn't preach the resurrection because he wasn't resurrected yet. I mean, he could preach it, but he couldn't minister it to people like we can today. He's given that to us through the Holy Spirit that Jesus died on the cross and he was for your sin and he was raised again with all power. We can preach that salvation today. Jesus never preached about a resurrected Christ. He prophesied about it. Nor did he preach about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied about it. There was an occasion in Matthew chapter 10 where he breathed on his disciples and sent them out. That was a temporary thing. But then he said it will fall and the Holy Spirit will be with you. 
Not until he ascended and went to the Father did the Holy Spirit fall and fill everyone that would receive him. And so when he says, you have to look it up here, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And he said, the greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. When he's saying you, he's, we, ought, we take it like it's just us, I will do. But when he says you, it's a plural you. We don't have a, distinct, a distinguishing word in uh, English for you and you. I could say you or I could say you. Spanish, I could say ustedes. That's everybody. Am I right, Renee? That's, that's everybody, okay? All right? In Tagalog, it's keong lahat. That means you, you all, okay? That's what he's saying. You will do greater works than me. But when people are able to go before God after it's all over with, after this life has passed away, and say that because of someone's love and concern for me, because of their faith in you, because they ministered to me in the power of the Holy Spirit, I was brought from sickness to health. I was brought from death to life in Jesus. I was brought from poverty to provision. I was able to overcome. I was able to be delivered because of the faith. That's what we're able to do. And I believe that's the greater works that he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. And he said, it, whatever you ask in my name. Now this is, this is, I'm taking this right from the Bible, folks. I'm not going to preach you anything that I feel like what I think it should be or what I heard or is this kind of a prosperity message or that type of thing. I'm just going straight from the word. When he said, At, whatever you ask in my name, that's this Greek word, itu or iteo. And it means to ask for with a claim on a receipt of an answer. Or like a demand. It means to ask or request with expectation. We need to expect what God is going to do. Expect what he's going to do. Now this is not demanding. You're not demanding God to do something for you. Let's just, let's just make the distinction. Because I think that's where we get over and we cross the line. A lot of times people, they hear one little thing and they just take off with it. Wait a minute, study it out. Study, he told Timothy, Timothy to show yourself approved, a workman uh, that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's study it out. And what is he really saying? Yes, the word there is demand, but you're not demanding God to do anything, but it's an expectation. Let me give you an example. Many of you in here are uh, parents, and uh, all of us are children, even if our parents are not still around. We've been children. I, you know, to me, if, uh, if, if, if your child wants something, for example, if you tell them, if you clean your room, I'll take you to get some ice cream. Okay? There's a statement that a parent made. So say the child cleans their room, and then they come into the kitchen, and they say, Mom, Mama Jean, you, take me to get some ice cream. Right now, I demand it. Now that child might only not get some ice cream, but they might feel some pain. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how Sister Jean might do. But they may feel some pain one way or the other. Okay? No, you're not demand you don't demand your parent, but you come back and say, Mom, can we go get some ice cream now? Right? you you have a reverence. But you also haven't, you're not expecting her to say no. Why? Because she said, if you clean your room, I'll take you to get some ice cream. So you have an expectation. 
And you're putting a demand on the expectation, not on the person. Does that make sense? Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. But we forget about this part right here, so that the Father can be glorified. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If what you ask of God, whatever demand you put on God, doesn't glorify the Father, guess what? You don't meet the criteria. Why hasn't God done this thing for me? It's not about you. Everybody thinks so that my needs can get met. We have all of these fancy sayings. And then what happens is that, that, that discourages people from believing that Christ wants to bless you because uh, they hear these things and it comes across so sloppy, it, you know, and it comes across so presumptuous that they turn away from the whole thing. And my grandfather used to call it throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You remember that? Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's some good stuff in here. God, Jesus wants to bless us. I came that you might have life and that more abundantly, more abundantly. But it's not just about that one thing. It's about relationship with him. It's about relationship with him. Come on. So greater doesn't mean better. It means you have the opportunity to do many more works than Jesus did. And so the second thing we have to remember is God's faith brings greater works. You have authority, you have authority, and God's faith brings greater works. Let me throw one last scripture at you over in Acts chapter 3. Go over there with me, Acts chapter 3. I'm just going to start at, at verse 1. Let me see how far down we can go. I'll just read a little bit here. Uh, starting at verse 1. Acts chapter 3, you know this story. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily. How often is daily? Every day, right? Not twice a month. Not Every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. He asked Peter and John did his job. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us, look at us. So he gave them his attention. What's this word right here? Expecting. Somebody say expecting. Expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. King James says, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately, 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 his feet and ankle bones received strength. Down in verse 10 it says, Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What do you think they did once they were filled with wonder and amazement? They wanted to know, how can I get some of that? It draws people to Christ when you allow God to do his work the way he wants to do it. Without presumption, without presumption, without presumption. This man sat at the gate and when he saw Peter and John, he looked up at them expecting. When we go before God, we need to go before him expecting. But all of it has to work together. Jesus said, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We can't leave any of it out. 
You can't just do one piece of it. You can't just name it and claim it and you don't have a relationship with God. Come on. But God does not want you to live beneath what he wants you to live beneath just because you think that you're sacrificing for him. You're doing no justice to the kingdom by living that way. God gave his faith to us so that he can be glorified. Well, how is he glorified when his children are doing greater works than Jesus did? When we're doing those works, when his children overcome, not when they're in jail or making a mockery of the pulpit, come on, or fostering division. When his children foster division, it does not bring glory to God, even if you do it in the name of Jesus. It doesn't bring glory to him. But when we overcome, when we overcome, we have to realize the authority that we have, that God has given us, it's greater than the enemy's ability. And this God kind of faith that he's given us, it, 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 it brings forth greater works. But it's all so that he can be glorified.